I think discipleship is so huge. Making disciples is huge. And I think Satan is going to do everything he can to keep us from making disciples. He'll get us studying for sermons, which isn't a bad thing. He'll get us in Bible studies, which obviously isn't a bad thing. Worship services, what, whatever. You know, doing this, doing that. Speaking to masses of people, writing books. Those are all good things. But the primary calling is to go and make disciples. That's the commission. And so Satan's going to want us to do anything but make disciples. Even those of us who are in ministry, he'll keep us busy doing services, doing this or that. Just make sure you don't make disciples because that's what's going to change the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We are grateful to meet with God's people. We know that all over this world there are folks gathering, some in homes, some in parks, some in humble buildings, and some in cathedrals. They're lifting your hand, their hands up to you. They're worshiping you. Lord, we never would have put this plan together. This thing that you started over 2,000 years ago, where you empowered every believer with your Holy Spirit. And you sent us out as salt and light. Lord, the the men you chose and, and even the women, um, they weren't all that faithful in the beginning. They, they were afraid. They were frightened. And in some ways, we look at it and we wonder why you pick them. But God, really, it encourages us. We're so much like the early disciples. We have so much truth. We've, many of us, spent time with you. And we realize, Lord, that you are the Son of God, the King of kings, that you are in control. And yet, Lord, sometimes there's a disconnect in our lives. Today, Father, we just come to you asking you, to illuminate our hearts. Help us hear your words today, Father. Change us from the inside out. We pray for churches all in our area. We pray for those who are, who are meeting and proclaiming your name faithfully. We think of Fox Lake Community Church. And we think, Father, that uh, you would encourage them, strengthen them. I want to pray for Grace Point Church in Mundelein. And I want to pray for Heritage, Lord, and all their campuses. We thank you again for these churches and all the churches that are meeting together. Lord, we are grateful. We're going to open up a text, God, that, that seems so familiar. I, I'm sure some of us have even memorized this text. Would you open our eyes new and fresh? Would you inspire us? Would you convict us this day? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to just move unfettered and change our world by changing us first, Father? We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you've been around here or read through the Bible in any form or fashion, you know that Jesus stormed into the Galilean landscape and literally changed the world. He healed the sick and he raised the dead and he fed crowds and he taught about a kingdom. Not a kingdom focused on politics or military strength or economic equity. 
but one where the king's reign and rule would bring, uh, would bring peace and justice, where the citizens would love the king and their neighbors. Jesus ushered this kingdom in and modeled for us what living under the Father's authority looks like Why you live in a broken world, a world that scurries around trying to find or make sense of things and yet obedient or submissive to the king. Well, God loves everyone and desires to redeem mankind, to give them hope for today and for tomorrow. But in spite of the human race's bent toward destruction, God is loving and gracious and merciful. Jesus paid sin's debt on the cross by spilling his blood for you and for me. And he offers a restored relationship by faith and then invites us to put on a yoke. Well, if you're with us a few weeks back, it seemed rather odd. But if you could put that in perspective that the king of kings, the creator of all, desires more than anything to do life with us, to be yoked up with us. And he says, if you're tired, if you're weary, come. Let's do life together. You're going to pull a wagon. Let me do it with you. Let me show you the pace. Let me tell you where to turn. Let's do life together. (laughs) What an invitation. We've been focusing on the greats, of which the great invitation was one of them. But last week, we looked at the great commandment. Again, such a familiar text. But Jesus was asked a question, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important, Jesus? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love the Lord your God. Or excuse me, love others the way you love yourself. <laughs> we love God because he first loved us. At face value, this is an odd commandment. But if we get it, we get it. As we grow in this relationship with our Lord, we soon realize that there is no one like God. We are overwhelmed by His grace and His mercy. And therefore, we begin to show Him love by obeying His life-giving words. Understanding God's love changes our perspective of God. And as we walk with God, He alone gives us supernatural power to love others like Jesus loved us. That's why I said, when you get it, you get it. Now today, today we're going to look at Christ's parting words, the verses that most of the church calls the Great Commission. And as we listen and understand Christ's last words, on this planet will continue to rock our worlds. But before we jump into Matthew 28, and you can take your Bibles and start looking that up, let me give you the context. Now, as you read through the Gospels and you noticed how busy was before Jesus was crucified, can you imagine how busy Jesus must have been after the resurrection? The 40 days that he walked the planet after he was raised from the dead? He was meeting and teaching and encouraging. But what's so unusual, especially the 11, the 11, they met with Jesus often. And Jesus told them, meet me in Galilee on a mountain. And so they listened. And they came to Jesus in weakness. Some of them were confused. They were doubtful. And I think, quite honestly, fearful. How could that be? They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They've learned about Jesus. They've spent years with Jesus. 
Why were they so timid? What was the issue here? But they also knew that Jesus would be leaving soon, and his words would be important. So let me say this, especially if you're newer to your walk with God. This passage is critical. In fact, some teachers would probably call it the focal point of the whole Bible. So let's look. Pick your Bibles up, or you can follow on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 16, although you're going to pick up in verse 18 there. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, is that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission was not simply meant to be analyzed, although there's a lot here, folks. What I want to say is that Christ's last words were dangerous. Dangerous. You'll get it in a moment. But these few verses ought to, by the working of God's Spirit, awaken our hearts both individually and collectively with a renewed zeal to make, our, or make disciples in our communities and among all nations. For some followers of Christ, this might even result in going away, even out of the country, in order to make the glory of God known. In this text, there is one imperative or one command. And the command is make disciples. And it's surrounded by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, now we're not going to go into English, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but it's really interesting to see how Jesus set this up. Let's look at Christ's life-altering words and let the Holy Spirit change our thinking and our behavior. Now, now, it's important for me to at least point out how Jesus Christ started this. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is reminding these guys in spite of them living together for so long and seeing the miracles and understanding that Jesus is the King of Kings, he starts off with saying, hey, I just want you to know that I am the powerful King. So maybe when I speak these words, these are really, really important words. The next line, as you can see, is therefore. And every time we see that in the Scripture, there is the connecting word. In other words, Jesus starts off saying, I am king of all. And in light of this, or therefore, in light of my sovereignty, because I am king, and this is how I would say it, keep making disciples everywhere. It is the only commandment. Keep making disciples. Now, many of you, if I had even asked this, what, what is a disciple? Well, maybe in the most basic of all definitions, it would just be a follower of Jesus. Jesus defined, though, a disciple in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And Jesus said this, If any of you want to be my follower, or in this case, my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. He made it really clear. Disciples are people that are not selfish or less selfish, and that they're going to embrace suffering or hardships 
and they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to listen. They're going to obey. That makes a disciple. So it is helping people be less selfish, embrace hardships, and follow Jesus to make disciples. Now, the fact is this, though, is that making disciples is not necessarily like making cherry pie, all right? In other words, you have a certain recipe, and you put it together, and really, you can make a cherry pie if you can read, right? Now, no offense to any of those that really make good cherry pies, all right? But there have been times in my life where I've been desperate for a cherry pie. And my wife, so, I, never mind, um, and what I will do is go into the kitchen and put all this together and stick it in the oven. And it kind of comes out. Okay. But I try to follow all those directions. And, and sometimes we think, well, maybe making disciples is exactly the same way. If I just do this and this and this, boom, I'm going to have a delicious cherry pie and whoa, that's going to be a treat. I, I, I don't think it works that way. I, I just don't. It takes somebody who walks with God, who listens to God, who is able to make disciples or help people on their journey of knowing God and making disciples. Make disciples is a clear directive. It's our priority. It's our mission. And we're going to get into what that looks like in a moment because the participles here tell us how to make disciples. And again, without going into a whole lot of detail, but we'll look at each one of them. What Jesus is saying like this, and almost all of your translations are, are like, go and make disciples. But realistically, just trying to put that into context and understanding the English there, it would probably be better translated, as you go, make disciples. As you do your normal routine, as you live your life, as you go about. In other words, this isn't another command. This is, hey, you guys all live in a neighborhood. You all live in a certain place. You all work in certain spots. As you do life, make disciples. Make them. And then he said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, in the context, really, Jesus is saying, keep baptizing as you make disciples. This, this is a present, active tense. You never stop baptizing. Now, it sounds like, oh, you know what? If we can make disciples, we just kind of get them in the tank and everything will work well. But in this context, baptism is synonymous with salvation. It literally is sharing the gospel so folks come to faith and follow Jesus. We just witnessed that sharing stories of transformation was normal in the early church. And so it was normal for people to come to faith and experience new life. And it was normal then that baptism followed almost immediately in that culture. So really, part of this command or teaching us how is evangelism. And again, not trying to scare anyone, but it's literally just telling your stories of God's transformation in your life. Letting people know that you met Jesus, that you were dead, and now you're alive because of his grace and his mercy. Wow. The goal would be baptism. Because baptism publicly identifies you with Jesus, shouts that you're on the Jesus team, and that he is your leader. In other words, baptism rocks, and it never should be downplayed. Wasn't it a blessing if you were with us last week when you heard the testimonies of Susan and Brody? Wasn't that cool? Two different people at different stages in their life, both recognizing that, hey, I want to let people know that I'm on Jesus' team. What an act of obedience. What an act of courage to let people know that. 
And then the last part of simple is keep teaching. Well, well, what? Keep teaching the word so that these disciples will obey the word. Now, how do we teach? I think we teach informally and formally, as you're going to see. It, it, you know, sometimes we think again that our Western way is always the best, where you go to a public type school and there is a uh, expert in the front of the class, and, and there are people spread out all over, and this expert just oozes information and is supposed to take it and make it practical. And sometimes that's how you make disciples. But a lot of time it's informal. A lot of time it's around the t dinner table. A lot of time it's on a walk. A lot of time it's after you come home from practice and you chat through life. Realistically, it's spending time with Jesus, learning his word, then encouraging obedience. You're committed to knowing and obeying all of God's word. Now, this kind of teaching that we're talking about is not merely to convey information, but to change lives from disobedient to obedient behavior. And we're going to go back to this in a second, but that's critical. Somehow when we open up the book, so many of us think that we're really obeying everything in here. The truth is, there's a lot of growth for each one of us. And then Jesus ends up this, this, this set of verses. It is also important, really important, that you hear how he ended. And he says, and be sure of this, disciples. This is your assignment. I get it. But be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. How cool is that, is that Jesus promises himself for the assignment. I am with you, Jesus said, and I am enough. Now let me just say this, is that Jesus expected disciples to make disciples. The scripture knows nothing of disciples who aren't making disciples. Yet, if you were to ask Christians today, in fact, if I were to ask you today, if you're a God follower, what it means to make disciples. I would probably get some jumbled thoughts, ambiguous answers, and probably even some blank stares, even though this is an unbelievably known passage. So, if this is such a critical passage, and Christ's words are so clear, the question is, why isn't the majority of the church making disciples, making it a priority, or even understanding what making disciples looks like? I think there's probably a couple reasons here. First of all, maybe even here, there might be some that don't know Jesus. You're not part of God's family. You've never come to faith and recognized that you need to be rescued by a Savior. Second reason might be we are disobedient. We basically just want to choose our own priorities. And even though this sounds like a good mission statement, well, we'll do our own thing. Or thirdly, we might be ignorant. We want to do this, and maybe we just need some help or some guidance. And if you fall in that camp, let me try to help you this morning. You see, to me, as I describe disciple-making, one of the things that helps people understand this better is if I say it looks a lot like parenting parenting. Now, I, I get it. Some of you are not parents, or some of you are looking forward to be parents, but you all were kids at one time. You know, I, I, I don't know if you remember that part. But what's so interesting, especially when you talk to first-time parents, and I don't know if you can remember back, back then, if that were the case, but all of a sudden, this is really a weird experience. 
A nurse comes in, if you had a baby in the hospital, and hands you this bundle of joy. You had just gone through labor. It was just difficult. You're probably just exhausted. And all of a sudden, the thought comes to you, this is mine. I've read a lot of books. I've even been a nanny. What am I going to do? How, do? how do I do this? What, what do we do first? <laughs> what happens if the baby fills their pants? Uh, change it. The pants. Don't turn the baby back in. But then all of a sudden, the different things that start to happen. You go, well, how often do you feed? Uh, like, is it, you know, what, what's going what's to happen when, when this baby gets her driver's license? Well, maybe you don't go that far, that fast. But realistically, all these thoughts go through your mind. And I think disciple making is a little bit like this is that sometimes we have this privilege and sometimes we even have a newborn and sometimes we lead someone to the Lord or someone we just find out wants to grow in their relationship with God and we kind of look at each other and say, how do you do this? What do you do? How can I help you on this journey to grow? Now what I can say is this. There are many parenting styles, but great parents have one goal, all right? And the goal is to eventually unleash a mature adult. That's our goal, all right? This involves intentionality in doing life with your kids. As they are growing up in the different stages, you protect them, you model, you teach, you motivate during every stage of life. And in every stage of life, there's this little bit of letting go. You know, especially a great illustration is teaching one of your kids how to ride a bike. Ah, well, there's a lot of stages, as you know, and, but the whole idea is, well, you start with the training wheels, you take the training wheels off, you uh, are running behind it, you know, just about exasperated, and, and every once in a while, you're about ready to let go. But you know as soon as you let go, there could be disaster, Right? So then you let go, you put the training wheels back on, and then you let go. But then there's a time you got to take the training wheels off, and then you let go. And inevitably, most of the kids do really well for about 20 yards, right? And then the whole idea is, how do I stop this thing, right? Or what happens, and, and you're going through all this, so finally somebody crashes, they go in, they, you know, they hit something, you're just hoping they're not, you know, maimed for life. But realistically, this is what happens. It happens all the way through life. You teach, you train, you model, you work, you let go. And this is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. Likewise, I, I just believe that there are many disciple styles or disciple-making styles. But the goal of every disciple-maker is a mature follower of Jesus. It involves intentionality, involves doing life with others, and involves releasing. Paul himself said this. He treated those at the church of Thessalonica like children. And that may sound really demeaning. But oftentimes that's how you perceive and how you help others grow to love Jesus and love others better. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this isn't just one text in a few verses, but I've taken a few of the verses out of 1 Thessalonians 2. And, and let me read it to you. Paul says this, we are much like a mother feeding and caring for her own children, talking to these believers. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And you know we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you and encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he has called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. 
what Paul was basically saying to these grown people for the most part. I was gentle with you. I fed you. I cared for you. And then I let go. I pleaded with you. And this is the idea of a coach charging and pushing. Seeing a child again, maybe with potential, and saying, yes, you can do this. He encouraged them. And he urged them, which is a great term for a cheerleader. Now, let's face it. There's a big difference today than 2,000 years ago in making a disciple. And the biggest difference is this, is that we don't live with disciples. Again, back in Jesus' day, I get it. Young men especially, they chose to live with their rabbi, to learn from their rabbi. And after a few years, they would make a choice even then. Do we continue on some other path, some vacation, or do we train to be a rabbi that will be able to get disciples and disciple others? Now, let me just say this. I believe, although most of us are not living with each other, although one of the greatest privileges you have is actually discipling your family. And then you live together under the same roof, and I get that. But most of the time, that isn't happen, happening. And most of the time, you don't live with them. So I think intentionality is critical. Making disciples just doesn't happen. Just like rearing responsible adults doesn't happen, in case you haven't noticed. All right? Just as life skills are taught, caught, reinforced, so are Jesus' follower skills. It requires, in my opinion, a rich personal relationship with God, allowing us to listen so he can give us plans and understand how we are to help others do this. Again, there are so many books and so many videos and so many opportunities, and I think those are all helpful. I do. But realistically, just like a son or a daughter, you know, you've got a lot of people in your life that probably tell you how to rear that person well. You know what? If you just, uh, you know, um, were a little bit more uh, firm with that person. You know, I think you, and everybody's an expert. And maybe some of the advice really is good, and you need to listen. But I know this, is that I've made disciples. It's critical for me to walk with God, to listen to God, and to ask God, what is it next? What's the next thing we need to work on? God, teach me, help me understand what direction you want me to go, what you want me to teach them, how you want me to or when you want me to release some things. You know, I also believe that every time you meet with someone, it means opening up the word, sharing uh, what God is teaching you. And the way that you hear me say it, what is God in inspiring you to do? Or what is God convicting you about? Wow. What I know is that any parent, depending on the stage in their life and the kids that God has given them, really get tired of talking about obedience. Don't you? Like, can't you just listen for once? Once. Well, I know they've listened for once, but at the end of your rope, you are just sitting there. Like, come on, shape up. Well, I think that's how it is sometimes as we look at the Great Commission. Because one of the things that God, or, or that Jesus told his disciples is, hey, I, I want you to teach the word, but I want you to keep encouraging them to obey. Because our bent is not obedience. It isn't. You want to pour into these people in doctrine and character and ministry. I get that. And I know that it's important to meet regularly and have objectives and there's accountability and even do evaluations. How we doing? How we growing? 
Are you ready, ready to do this yourself? It's so interesting. The very first time I meet with an individual or two or three, and I like working with three people at a time personally now for whatever the reason. But when I meet with them, one of the things I share with them is say, hey, you know what? I want to walk with you. I want to help you. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus with all of your heart. But I want you to know this, is that we're not going to just keep meeting. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to walk with you, model for you, encourage you. But there's going to be a time when I want you to be able to leave the roost. I want you to do this yourself. Because in a little while, I want you not only to do that, but I want you to train others so they'll keep doing the same thing. So my interaction with them as I meet with people is that they're always going to be reminded about reproduction, about meeting others, about sharing their faith, about encouraging them on their walk, about meeting with them in a consistent way so that they might do the same thing with others for all of their days. Now again, it's sad to me that people who have walked with God for a long time are not discipling. Well, or even have a clue of what discipling is. If we're honest, God's call to make disciples makes each one of us uncomfortable. It means we have to pour into someone. It means, well, you know, I think some of us anyway, and we look forward to what we call the empty nest. Finally, they're gone. Even if it's just for college for a little bit. You know what? I don't have to worry about X, Y, Z. But then you do it anyway. But realistically, there is something. And hopefully, when that time happens, you're going, you know what? They do know how to balance a checkbook. They do know what a budget looks like. They know how to act responsibly. They know how to do an interview. They have a good work ethic. And it's exactly the same way as you look at making disciples. Hey, do you know how to grow in a relationship with Jesus? And do you know what's important to be taught? What are the basic doctrines that you need to understand? What are the truths that you need to be able to share? How do you pray? What does it look like to grow in a relationship with Jesus? And what happens when you lead someone to the Lord? How do you take them down that pathway? Oh, wow. You, you look at all of these different things. But what you have to understand here is that if we are going to make disciples, it means that something will probably change in our lives because no one ever drifts into making disciples. And that is, I think, the biggest reason most of us do not make disciples. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to invest in others. Or maybe I've made disciples before, I've worked with people before, and you know what? They're not walking with God now. They didn't listen to any of that. I tell you, that's hard. But I look at my own life, and there are ebbs and there are flows. And I'm sure that, that guys who worked with me said, oh man, what a loser. <laughs> What's ever going to happen to him? Like, whoa, what is wrong with you, wager? But somehow God was faithful. You know, we have often relied on others to do the discipling. We call them experts. Some of you may call them pastors. Ah, or someone else. But, but I just got to let you know, they're not experts. They're, they're really not. They're normal people. They're shepherds. 
but it's really, really important to continue to make disciples because Jesus said so. Or some of us, we may even think that programs can produce disciples because we don't want to pay the price of personal investment that discipleship requires. So we send our kids to Awana because they're going to help them learn the verses. Then I don't have to. Or they're going to go on a mission trip. Or they're going to an X, Y. And we set up things. Or even youth ministries. Oh, if my kid goes to youth ministry, I don't have to worry about discipling them. Hopefully there's help on this journey. A.W. Tozer, not... Maybe many of you know of him, but he's an old-time pastor. And, and he said this, programs do not make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That, that's all. And we need to understand that no matter what stage of life you're in. You know, I, over the years, I've realized that no matter where I'm at on the journey, I can learn from someone and I can teach someone. And it's encouraging to know that God has called us to do both of those things. You see, in my opinion, we come to church often because of what the church can offer us. We choose a church because of its amenities. But as I see the scriptures, the church is like a life-saving station. Like a lighthouse, maybe some of you might, might know it as. But back in the early days of the Coast Guard, there were these life-saving stations, stations all along the coast. They were crude. They weren't made for postcards. And what would happen, there were people they had called surfmen. And they would send them out, especially during storms, and see if any ships were wrecked. And their goal would be to save or scoop people out of the sea, bring them back to a place where it would be warm. It wasn't very fancy. Make sure that if they were sick, they could tend to them. Make sure if they were hungry, they could tend to them. Encourage them. But the whole idea was this. Hey, we're going to do that. We're going to equip you. We're going to even teach you how to be a surf man. And what we want to do is send you out to do the same thing we're doing. I like that. I think that's the church. The church isn't, again, yes, there's great worship, and yes, there's teaching, and yes, there's ministries that are going on. But realistically, the church is a group of believers meeting together, encouraging one another to obey and to listen so they can go out into their worlds and be surfmen and represent our Lord as salt and light and be able to share our stories of transformation to anyone. Be able to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus and begin to disciple them and maybe bring them back to the life-saving station where they can heal and they can be strengthened and they can be equipped. But that's the church, a place to serve and to equip the saints so as they go back into the storm. You see, the truth is this, is that we're not in the business of just feeding men for a day. We're not here just to come and get a Band-Aid. We are here to feed the world. Some of you have heard this, this proverb, but you give a man a fish, which is generous. A meal, a couple bucks, and you feed that person for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. That, that would be better. Actually, that is the, the purpose of every good mission, all right? If we look at Pacific Garden Mission, one of the premier missions in all of the world, where their goal isn't to just come in and give some hungry souls some shelter and food. But it's to train them, encourage them, help them understand who Jesus is. But the last part of this proverb is this. You teach a man to teach others to fish, and you feed the world. That 
is what making disciples is all about. Not just giving someone good news and, and pat them on the back and let them go. It's not just teaching them all the truths of the Scriptures so that they have a better life, a full life, an abundant life, and they know they're going to see Jesus at the end of their lives. But it's to be able to feed them, teach them to fish, and encourage them to teach others to fish so that God will move mightily. You know, some of you know Francis Chan, and we opened up our time with him. And, and the bottom line is, if you read any things about Francis Chan, he's done things really differently. He, he would be called a really successful evangelical pastor some years back. And, and I hope he would still be called that at this moment. But what happened is, is that he saw something very clearly, and that was the call to make disciples. It wasn't that he was doing everything wrong before, but what's so encouraging, he goes, you know what's really important? It's for me to spend time with people and help them love Jesus so they can go spend time with people and help others love Jesus. Dawson Troutman, one of my heroes, he was the first president of the Navigators, a ministry that is focused really on discipling others. Started off discipling in the military, but, but really moved a lot even to college campuses at this moment. A amazing, amazing ministry. Dawson Trotman said this. He said, the curse of today is that we're too busy. And we'll all say, amen. Oh, yeah, that's good. But listen to this, what he says. I'm not talking about busy earning money to buy food. I'm talking about being busy doing Christian things. We have a spiritual activity with little productivity. I would keep pressing home the big job. Be fruitful and multiply. All these things, these other things are incidental to the supreme task of winning a man or a woman to Jesus Christ and then helping them grow. You know, if you look at this text, the ending is quite stark, isn't it? The disciples' responsibilities are daunting. But we have some amazing resources. We, as followers of Jesus, need to drink deeply both of the power and the presence of Jesus if we are going to fulfill his mandate. Do you, do you get that? Jesus gave all of us a mission and showed how it's done. It started with a group. <laughs> A, a motley crew, a, 11 guys. But the one thing that people notice is that they were the guys who spent time with Jesus. And eventually, when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they changed a world. We can look back at Acts and just say, hey, that was Acts. <laughs> Today, a little different. But I don't think it is. I, I just don't. I guess the question for each one of you, and that's why I said Jesus' words are really dangerous today. They are. If you're listening, I don't know how you can't be inspired or you can't be convicted. But the question is this. Do you want to be discipled or are you discipling? And maybe some of you are in spots where both can happen. It will be inconvenient. But if you've been here for very long, every Sunday at the end of the message, and you're going to hear this again, right before I let you go, hey, is there anybody that wants help in their spiritual journey? Anybody that wants to be able to get connected with God better? And I got to tell you, most people, they're not lining up for that. That's all. Either everybody has their act together and they don't need it. Or really, 
you're just blowing it off. It's interesting, we had a class, and I've been promoting it. And I don't want everybody to come to this class on Tuesday. But it blows me away because I'm promoting it as, hey, do you want help in your growth on your journey? Well, why don't you come out? Or do you want help in even understanding how you disciple others? Come on out. So if you need help on the journey or you want help discipling, come on out. And I got to tell you, and, and maybe there's other reasons. We had eight sign up. I'm so grateful for those eight. But as a pastor, I go, I, oh, does that mean everybody's discipling? Does that mean everyone has this, this thing going on? No, I, I don't think so. You know, we talk about the greats, at least in this church, every two years. We've got posters, artwork in our lobby that talks about the great invitation and the great commandment and the great commission. But I guess what I'm asking, more than anything, is are we listening? You're going to have some regrets when you close your eyes. You just are. We all will. But I don't think you will ever, ever regret investing in others. You know, I was thinking over the years, <laughs> this is one of my discipleship notebooks. And I, I actually, uh, I was at a couple funerals this week. It's one of those weeks. And yesterday, I had an opportunity to just spend time with some people that I invested in a long time ago. Didn't even know if they'd been walking with God. And not everyone was. But it was so cool to be able to hear that some of them have faithfully poured into people who are pouring into people who are pouring into people. And I looked through these names lots of names and I wonder Lord are they walking with you oh I can't make you make disciples but I can share with you Jesus' words and they're important may Christ's words Ignite each one of you, no matter where you are, no matter what stage you're in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> Sometimes I get so distracted. I do. God, please, help me listen to you well. May we as a church listen to you well. May we focus on obeying you. And would you bring the fruit? We ask this in your precious name.